0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here on the hump day edition of the yard it's also graduation day here in the Robertson household is the caboose Ian Robertson will graduate from Starville High School I'll have three Starville High School graduates in the family so I think it's safe to say we are jackets for life right Uh, congratulations to everybody else out there that's graduating high school or college, chances are if it's college you've already walked and so it is a great accomplishment and I wish the best for everybody involved. Many people will decide, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna go to college, I'm done going to school, I'm gonna go get a trade, I'm gonna go get a job and just start making my way in the world. You know what, we all have a path. So whatever you choose to do, everyone here at the Boneyard, that's me, today it's me and Mojo and Marley, my black lab and uh, blue healer. But um, we wish you the best. We do. Whatever you do. I'll tell you, because you know, when I was, when I was uh, graduating high school, I remember thinking, you know, there's this feeling of finality. You know, it's like, okay, all right, this is done. And here's the thing that I'll tell you, too, especially if you don't stay in your hometown. And I, I couldn't do that, right? But if you, if you don't stay in your hometown, many of the people that you're going to hug goodbye tonight, you'll never see again. Ever. You'll never see them again. And, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's bad. You'll see some people at the reunions, you'll see people when you come back to town to bring the grandkids home and that kind of stuff. But the reality of it is, is that at this point in your life, you probably have more, quote, friends than at any point in your life. The older you get, the less friends you have. You, you, you figure out, too, you've got a lot of acquaintances kind of masquerading as friends, but uh, this is the largest friend group you'll ever have. And maybe if you go to college you know you'll find your little circle or whatever but uh it is a uh, it's it's the end of the beginning it's not an ending this opens up a new chapter and so uh, for those of you that are are walking across the stage i understand uh, and this will sound kind of crass and i'm okay with that you've really at this point only accomplished the bare minimum which is graduating high school you know the expectation in our country should be for for people to go to college and if not you know, to go out and get a vocation or something of that nature. I mean, that, that's that's just how I see it. You, you may disagree, and that's okay. And college isn't for everybody, right? Uh, but the reality of it is, is you can do things to further your education that maybe aren't necessarily in a classroom. I know a lot of guys, you know, back when I was a kid, I'm, I'm from the 1900s, right? And so when I was in high school, we had this thing called Votech And so for you know, students that didn't plan to go to college, but wanted to learn to weld or auto mechanics and things like that to kind of work with their hands. They went to VoTech to kind of give them a running start into life after high school. So maybe perhaps you've done that. But uh, one of the things I would uh, make sure that you understand too, at this point, you don't know a whole lot. You think you do, because I did. I thought, you know, at 18, I had it all figured out. I I didn't. I absolutely did not. I had no idea what the world had in store for me. But uh, it's important to understand you never stop learning, ever. Never stop learning. That's when you start standing still. Always try to find some way to expand your knowledge base, whether it be you know, through reading or experiences, or something like that. So maybe, you may never take another written test again as long as you live. You may not. Maybe you're done with all that. Maybe you'll never get a quote grade, right? But you're going to be evaluated every day the rest of your life, period. And uh, here's the thing too, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, man, I'm so sick and tired of my parents telling me what to do. Well, then what happens is you get a little independence and you kind of figure out that maybe, just maybe, they had your best interest at heart. And then you find a significant other and then they tell you what to do. It doesn't mean you always do it, but then they tell you. And then you have kids and then when they become old enough to speak, then they tell you what to do. So you never graduate from being told what to do. And I don't just mean like in a job. I mean, you you expect that. You know, when you have a manager or supervisor, there's always somebody to give you direction in life. But it has been my experience, and maybe your life is different than mine in many respects. There will always be somebody telling you what to do. There will always be somebody that criticizes you for your choices. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Sometimes we need accountability. I'm a big proponent of this. And a lot of people don't like it when I get on here and preach. But uh, my greatest hope for all of you it's that your good friends are good people, because if they're not good people, chances are you're not a good person. Because birds of a feather flock together, right? I mean, your friend, your friend group, more times than not, is a mirror of you and your own value system. So surround yourself, you know, with people that are similarly situated and going in the same direction as you. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made, you know, post high school. You know, I was, um, you know you know, some would say I was a pretty good soccer player back in those days, and so I had some opportunities to play beyond the high school level, and um, went to Jones, and shortly after I got there, we found out we didn't have a sponsor, so we weren't going to have a team, and then uh, there was talk about PRC was going to have a team, and I was in their district, and I was going to go there, and uh, get over there, they decided not to have a team, so I thought I'd drink a little, and uh, surrounded myself, again, who, people who were similarly situated, you know, it's amazing how that happens, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when you're going to church all the time, it's like all of a sudden, you know, the, there's this uh, this Jesus fish thing that just pops up on your, your minivan, right? It just, just kind of happens, right? And then, you know, when I was a weed-smoking fornicator, the people that I ran around with were also weed-smoking fornicators. It's funny how that works. Your friends, again, it's a reflective principle because what's what you do. You surround yourself with people that confirm or it, an attempt to validate your outlook on life. That's what happens. You gravitate to those people. Those people graduate, gravitate to you. So ensure that you are surrounding yourselves with people that are doing good things. Good things. Making something positive of their lives. So that's my advice to graduates today. Doesn't matter if you go to college, you go to VoTech, uh, go to Barber College, whatever. Whatever you do, I wish you the absolute best. But understand the significance of your peer group and make sure you're choosing your friends wisely because i didn't and i took some people down with me too now fortunately i made it out of that i was one of the few i was the uh you know the exception when we talk about statistics i was on the positive end of the being a statistic you know the the uh the thing that i have learned in my research and we'll get to uh sports here shortly but um you know i've been an advocate for those in recovery for for many many years and um about to write a book about that the first writing day is tuesday as a matter of fact but um but here's the thing that I have have learned so much about every bit of that, is that when you begin to kind of come who you are, right? When you begin to make those decisions, and I, I, one of the songs that was so important to me back then was uh, Michael W. Smith's um, "Place in This World" because I struggled, I struggled to kind of find out where I fit, and uh, you know, you'll make it, you know, if, if if you want to, if you're really committed to it. You can, and uh, don't ever feel sorry for yourself, ever, 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 ever. Every one of us in life has uh, some chaos and some, uh, you know, some adversity, some more than others. And what I have learned is that most of the adversity in my life has come as a result of a bad decision that I've made. And that's not just as a person when I was an, uh, an addict. I mean, even today, a lot of times I make a mistake in judgment, and it leads to consequences in my life and so I, I share that with you because i think it's important to understand that's a principle it doesn't just affect those afflicted with the disease of addiction it, it's for all of us yeah, it just every major religious text out there will tell you you know you reap what you sow you know some people call it karma or whatever but the bottom line is when you put bad things out in the world you get them back so ensure that you're planting good seeds because at some point they're going to take root and they're going to bloom good bad or indifferent let's thank our friends at bulldog burger company i tried to get over there yesterday we just couldn't pull, pull it together. Uh, all this family coming to town. I don't know. Maybe we'll make it today. We'll see. But uh, a lot of people in town for this. But uh, I I, I want to go have another Mississippi barbecue burger. I do. I, I, I have a problem. I, I, I admit it. I do. The, the good thing is I don't have any consequences from this. It's just something that I enjoy. And one of these days, maybe when I go by myself, you know, maybe I don't have anybody to give me that judgmental glance. I'm going to order two of those bad boys. And I'm going to knock them out. And if I don't, I'll bring them home and eat them later. I love it. I do. It's become my favorite burger at Bulldog Burger Company. I still have the spring rolls. I mean, again, it's, it's part of my uh, skin care and beauty maintenance programs, those spring rolls. You should implement that, too, because they will make you better looking and everybody around you better looking. We need the world to be a more beautiful place. We need more spring rolls for Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, reminder, too, I've got a tap takeover coming up soon uh, at um, – in Starkville, Yeah, that, that's going to happen here real pretty quick too. It's important to kind of understand that that uh, big events, you know, it's not just hey, you go in there and you have a great meal. You can go in there and have a little entertainment and maybe do something a little bit different. And uh, that's Memphis Made will be there on June the 1st at 6:30 p.m. So you got time to get off work, start villains and uh, go by and enjoy a night with friends or family. I encourage you to get out and do that. Three, three great locations to serve you University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive, in a rich and area. Make Bulldog Burger Company, a part of your regular routine. It's a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Uh, for those of you that have read my second sit-down one-on-one interview with Zach Selman, one of the first things that I touched on with him uh, was the upcoming SEC football schedule. Not, not this year, but, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be joining the league soon and people are wondering, okay, what does that mean, right? You know, we're gonna do the pods, we're gonna do whatever, you know, we're gonna have the permanent opponents, and you know, happy what we have right now, but are we gonna go to non-conference games? Now, I have t- said from the beginning that no, we shouldn't go to non-conference games, and if we do, we need to drop the Power Five mandate. Now, some would say, Steve, you know, hey, in Mississippi State, we should expect greatness we shouldn't want to lower the hurdles. I'm not looking to lower the hurdles. I'm just looking to keep them right where they are. Things are difficult enough in this conference, not just for Mississippi State, but for schools that are our contemporaries. Yes, the South Carolinas, the Old Misses, and in many respects, the Arkansas, even though they don't want to admit it. We need those 4 9 conference games. And more times than not, we're going to need three of those wins in a rebuilding year to achieve bowl eligibility. Now, I'm also not a a proponent of the fact, too, that, hey, we just want to get to the Music City Bowl or Liberty Bowl. I want want bigger things, too, bigger trips, bigger rankings. But when you begin to think about if we go to nine, nine SEC games, that's going to be at least eight losses. Well, we'll be exactly eight more losses for the league. So it weakens the league's bowl presence right now if sudden you know well say they played play a more difficult schedule the bottom line is this sec schools are going to pack it out we have both tie-ins we're going to we're going to fill those more years than not but if we want to make the playoff and there is an expanded playoff now thanks to Dr. Mark Keenum then we're going to need every win we can get and so why would we make it more difficult to reach the playoff, because that's essentially what we're doing. And say, well, you know, Steve, the driving factor in all this is money. You're absolutely correct. It is. And what I have learned in some private conversations is that ESPN is not willing to give us the money that would justify making the move to nine SEC games. So if we're not going to get the financial, you know, windfall that we had anticipated getting, why would we make it more difficult for an SEC school to make a playoff. It makes no sense. And so now all of a sudden, you know, it was the big thing. It was kind of like a lot of people in the national media and the SEC media were like, oh, this is definitely going to happen. They're going to go to nine games. Well, it doesn't appear that's the case now. Now, I don't even know if it gets settled this next week. SEC meetings are next week. I'm sure it's one thing they're going to talk about. Zach Selman and I spoke about that uh, when we met earlier this week. And Zach is keeping an open mind. You know, he didn't give me his exact opinion. He goes, hey, I'm good either way, but I'm going to need some data points to kind of sell me one way or another. Uh, I can tell you this. As a guy that's been a Mississippi State fan my entire life, we're not Alabama. We're not Georgia. We're not LSU. We need those four non-conference games. And I'm okay with keeping the Power Five mandate. Because here's the thing, too. we, We begin to think about, you know, what does it take for Mississippi State to host a home game. What is the expenditures? You said, well, you you guys buy the tickets. Well, then, you know, if you don't come, right, if you don't come to the games, and all of a sudden we've got a lot of people that were paying an hourly wage to walk around and not do a whole lot. And so you need to have, as Zach Selman calls it, a robust regular season schedule. I think the Power Five mandate does that. But we need to be able to play Southeast from Louisiana once a year or Northwestern State, or Alcorn State, or Jackson State. We need to, and those schools need us to play them. And then you need to be able to play Memphis, and maybe Southern Miss, and teams of that nature. And listen, I'm not saying you gotta have a dog of a schedule here, right? And and Mississippi State actually has one of the easier schedules in the Southeastern Conference this year. And it's not just my opinion, that's the ESPN-FPI that's suggesting that, the performance index and so i think it's important to understand what what is best for mississippi state we that's what zach selman's charge is it's okay what his primary concern is what is best for this institution not necessarily what's best for the sec that's secondary i can tell you you know had some conversations with john cohen at the infancy of this discussion about expanding the sec schedule i think john understood it i go back to scott strickland When Scott was here, everybody's like, hey, you know, I want to play a power five opponent. I want to get a great non-conference game. And Scott's like, you know, I do two every December. Yeah, and that's how I feel too. We have to schedule smart. We can't go out there and schedule ourselves into a losing season. And nor would any head coach agree to that. We don't have the resources. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot Let me tell you a little bit about this new video of Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience, No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, It's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry, you don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition, it's unlocking. Ufi video lock that's e-u-f-y official.com forward slash video lock and it's time for you to gain control of your door again that's eufy e-u-f-y why are so many dogs suffering from health issues that many of our sec peers do and so by going to nine sec games it hurts us it makes it more difficult for us to make a bowl game but by the same token it makes it more difficult for alabama and georgia and florida and, and teams like that to make the playoff don't you think alabama would rather play gardner webb and then have to play another sec game So a well steve it's alabama it, it's true but if, if you had your druthers It'd be nice to have a week or maybe you can rest some of your starters and you have some guys who are a little bit banged up and also put some young guys out there and give them the opportunity to get some early playing time and get some things on film and see exactly what they can do. There is a lot of benefit to play for non-conference games. And it's not just about bowl eligibility. It gives playing time to players that are trying to develop gives coaches a chance to evaluate. And again, time for guys to rest. But also, and part of that too, is we begin to think about what's best for everybody. Well, you know, how many of those teams that we play depend on that check to fund their athletics department? And now you're gonna remove that, right? You're gonna take that out. So instead of us cutting four checks, we're gonna cut three, which is true, right? So you save that expenditure, but you begin to think about too, at what cost? There's a difference between price and cost, right? I think the price is too high for us. I do. Now, of course, you say, well, Steve, you know, it gives you the, you know, play nine conference games, you're more likely to pick up maybe, you know, Kentucky or Vanderbilt or whatever, you know. But the bottom line is this, is that do you really want to play another SEC team? Think about not just your entertainment dollar. What's best for the football program? What does Mississippi State gain if we're not going to get the money that we were promised or we expected to get? From a new tv deal what do we gain from it well i would submit that we gain nothing from it and i think now there's growing support for staying with a games and so i don't know if that's settled next week but i know it is something that will be discussed next week and there's a lot of things involved here a lot of projections and things like that the people will sit down and uh, you know, my hope is is that the schools themselves will consider the risk-reward here. There is very little reward. There's an awful lot of risk. You can say, well, yeah, you know, Steve, a lot of people don't want to come see us play Western Carolina. You know, a lot of people are going to come to the ballgame anyway because we love Mississippi State. We want to see us win. We want to go hang out in a junction with our friends. We want to come to Starkville, want to spend some money, reunite with old college chums, right? I'm not saying you got to go out there and schedule the Mississippi School of Math and Science. But there's not enough wrong with the current system for us to disrupt everything for just a little bit more money. It's not worth it. That's my personal opinion. You may disagree, and that's OK. But that is something to watch. And again, for, for months, I started to say weeks, but for months, there were many people that followed a Southeastern Conference who were telling us it was a done deal. I was being told it was far from a done deal, and now all of a sudden it appears that the switch has flipped, and now the expectation is for eight rather than nine, which is what we have now. There's just not enough benefit in this for anybody in the SEC. You can say, well, you know, Steve, we'll have a packed house with another game. That's true, yeah, but that's, you know, how, many of that, how, how much of that is going to be additional revenue? I mean, season tickets are what the season tickets are already paid for. So how many people are going to show up and just go buy a single game ticket? How many you know, opposing fans are going to come? You know, How much money is that going to generate? And at the end of the day, is that enough to put us in a situation that uh, we're probably dooming ourselves to an existence of the Liberty Bowl and the Music City Bowl by doing so? I mean, how many years has Mississippi State had a winning record in the Southeastern Conference since we made a, uh, the, the jump uh, you goodness forever ago now. But let's just look back here real quickly. You know back we expand the conference in 92 and we go to the eight game SEC schedule. Okay, we go four and four, then three, four and one, five and three, there's your first winning record. One and seven, three and five, four and four, six and two, there's your second, then six and two again, there's three. Four and four, two and six, oh and eight, one and seven, two and six, one and seven, one and seven, four and four. Two and six, three and five, four and four, two and six, four and four, three and five, six and two. There's your fourth winning record in conference. Four and four, three and five, four and four, four and four, three and five, three and seven, four and four, four and four. There you go. Four times since nineteen ninety two that Mississippi State has had a winning record in SEC play. Four times. And now all of a sudden, we want to make it more difficult. So, you know, we're gonna go four and four, we're gonna play an extra game. Right, so maybe you win that every other year. You need the non-conference games. Simple as that. That's not poor mouthing. That's just the reality of the situation. We need the four non-conference games. I won't be convinced otherwise because you got to think. I mean, how many years do we sweep that? Not always. You know, that was the big thing under Dan Mullen. Like he never lost a game he was supposed to win until. South Alabama in 216, and then that sent that season into a tailspin. And we had to block a field goal to win the ball game against Miami Ohio down in St. Petersburg. It's a crazy year. And so for those of us out there, oh, let's, you know, let's just you know, let's ramp up the competition. We're not ready for it. I'm just telling you, we're not. And I think when you've got a first-year head coach like Zach Arnett, and a guy probably in year three will have you know have his own program here. I think you're making it more difficult. And then you begin to think about okay, let's say you know, Zach Arnett you know, stumbles along six and six, seven and five, five and seven. You guys are going to want him fired. You are. I mean, you want everybody fired. Even when Dan Mullen was winning, we wanted him fired because he was always flirting with our jobs. I guess Vic Schaefer is the only guy I can remember in recent years we didn't want fired. We always want somebody fired, always. So, you know, the, the pitchforks will be out. We'll want Zach Arnett fired. Okay, who are you going to hire? Well, you know, Steve, we pay good money. Yeah, but who's going to be willing to take this job that's of value considering the encumbrances that we would then have to get to big-time ballgames? You know, people used to say, hey, Dan Mullen stayed here and, you know, went to a ballgame every year. We'd have built a statue we'd name a stadium after him. And maybe, maybe we should expect more. I don't think we get more by strengthening the schedule. I'm not saying we go out there again and, and schedule the uh, Mississippi School of Math and Science, but the reality of it is, is we need to accept the reality of where we are and not just go along with it. just because we want to make a few extra bucks. If, if it was an, an, an incredible amount of money, then I'd say, well, it's a no brainer. You know, we need that to, to fund facilities. And eventually, I think what we're gonna be using TV money for is to fund NIL. I think that's right around the corner. We're not gonna talk a lot about this today, but there is now a federal bill that is being introduced, be a national law about NIL to govern NIL that will make all of these state laws moot and give everybody a level playing field. That is something we've been talking about. We said we knew at some point it was coming and people say, oh, you, Steve, you really think this bill will pass this dysfunctional Congress, yes, I do. I do think it'll pass. And that will, again, put some regulations in place. Obviously, the NCAA will still have to police it. But we need to get Pandora's box closed again and then kind of clean up our mess and kind of move forward. And so that's on the cusp ahead. When you begin to think about that. So some change is coming. And uh, I, I think Greg Sankey deserves a lot of credit. You know, for, he would himself went to Capitol Hill and spoke with some lobbyists and people down there about, hey, we are going to need some help regulating this. We have allowed this thing to get out of hand. And, again, it shows what a visionary leader Greg Sankey truly is. And, listen, there are some things I'm critical about. I, I'm not a, a company man when it comes to the SEC. I root against every SEC team in bowl games. I, I do because I'm a hater. Right, anything that's good for them is bad for us. The money, the money's the same, right? That's that's one of those things that's always so interesting to me. When we need them to win can we make more money. No, we don't. It's not a purse. It's a payout. Once an SEC team makes a ball game, they're going to get their share of the payout, which is an equal payout with their opponent. There is no reward for winning. So if we're going to get paid the same, no matter what happens in those ball games, I wrote against them. I do. I do. I don't want anybody to have any positive momentum going into recruiting. I don't. Let us win the bowl game and be done with it. I don't care. I don't. I was happy to see Georgia win, though. I'll be honest with you. Uh, But all that said, there's a lot of this that's going on out there, and I think eventually the TV money itself will fund a lot of NIL stuff. That's what I believe. I think you begin to pay student athletes out of the TV package. And then there'll be all these Title IX stuff. So we have got a jungle to kind of navigate through here to make sure that everybody gets an equitable share a uh, fair market value. But it's not gonna be a simple thing. But the first step in that process, of course, is a national law governing NIL. And that's probably, you know, again, kind of a indictment on Mark Emmert and his legacy with the NCAA. Is their inaction and their arrogance led to this that we're having to depend on the federal government to do something that the people that were paid to govern the NCAA didn't do. And the next thing you know, all these laws pop up. And there's like, oh, we're going to do this. And, and, and you can see it. There's lawsuits out there now. Like if there's one in California. It always seems to start in California, doesn't it? One in California that's saying, hey, students should be able to share in the TV revenue deal. That's what's coming. You might as well get ready. That's what's coming. And my hope is is that will enable you know, the NIL piece to be less of the fans' responsibility and more of the university. Because the bottom line is this, we, you know, I, I think they deserve a chance to share in the wealth. And I know I, people like Steve, get off my lawn. When I played football at Mississippi State, we were just happy to have an opportunity and have our education paid for. And I absolutely agree with that. I do. But times have changed. More times than not, you didn't play on TV back then. You were lucky to be on the radio. Now every SEC game is broadcast. There are ads that are run on those broadcasts. People pay to watch those student athletes perform. Why shouldn't they share in it? You didn't have that opportunity. The game has changed. How we broadcast the game, how we coach the game, how we facilitate the sport, everything has changed. So yes, it's very noble, and I appreciate everybody's contributions to Mississippi State Athletics, but we're not talking about apples to apples here. You played in an era in the infancy of college football where everybody came to games because that's the only way you could see them. When I was a kid, way back in the 1900s, it was a treat to be able to watch Mississippi State on TV because it only happened maybe once or twice a year. That was it. Our, our, our view to the world was through the maroon lens of Jack Crystal. That was it. You wonder, wonder why Jack Crystal was so famous? That's why, because that's all we had. But now, hundreds of millions of dollars are being made in college football. So there's a revenue stream that didn't exist when our older generation played football at Mississippi State. It's still an honor to be a Bulldog, it is. But it wouldn't be fair if our opponents were able to pay their players and to fill their needs and we weren't reluctant to do so. So there's gotta be a level playing field, and there's gotta probably be a collective bargaining agreement, probably. Um, Eventually, probably unionization of college sports. You probably see it happening. Things are changing. I can't say that I like them all, but I understand how we've gotten to this point. I think it's important to understand that. And again, kind of circling back too, if we're not gonna get more money, or enough money to justify playing that ninth SEC game, and then all of a sudden, we're going to start having more losing seasons and missing out on bowl games. There's going to be a lot more people come play football at Mississippi State just for the honor of it because the prestige of playing, it's not going to be nearly as good because you're not going to have a postseason. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. Blair Chandler, a mortgage professional. Your mortgage is important, right? It's not like just paying the rent. You're making an investment in your future. In some situations, establishing some generational wealth for your family, for your children. It's important. So instead of giving money away, renting, making somebody else rich and having nothing to show for it, it's not just about living, right? That's just existing. Let Blair put you in a home. Let Blair help you. Maybe you've tried in the past and been turned down, but Blair Chandler is a guy that's top 1% close ratio in the country back-to-back-to-back years. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender. It's not like you're dealing with some fly-by-night finance company or some internet online bank. This is the real deal. It's Fairway Mortgage. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And and here's the thing. School's out, right? If you're thinking about making the move, now's the time to do it. The summer real estate market really begins to heat up. Uh, a lot of people out there thinking hey we want to improve our standing that our our family is expanding the kids are getting older they need their own rooms now's the time reach out to blair close with blair and uh, let him know you heard about him on the Barnyard. we appreciate that very very much all right today's top tip and uh i was inundated uh when the news broke of tina turner's passing that we need to do a top 10 we've never done one tina turner you may not know this uh not a real name she was born anna may bullock did you know that in brownsville tennessee and she ended up dying in switzerland how about that she was a united states citizen until 2013 and then became a swiss citizen uh, in 2013 very interesting very interesting of course she uh, rose to prominence as an r&b singer with ike turner's uh, kings of rhythm and eventually became the ike and tina turner review and uh, we've got a couple of those songs in our top 10 list. But uh, Tina Turner, an incredibly powerful voice, and not just behind the microphone. You know, of course, her and uh, Ike Turner had some uh, some marital problems. There was allegations of abuse, and uh, Tina Turner uh, wrote her biography, "I Tina: My Life Story," and talked a lot about a lot of those things that happened in her marriage. And and uh, a lot of people just couldn't believe it that somebody of such high acclaim and celebrity had uh, endured uh, the level of abuse that she did. And so she put that out there and she became an advocate you know, for many women that suffered from uh, you know, batter women syndrome and things of that nature. And, and it kind of became her own person. And so uh, a, a Grammy Hall of Fame artist, one of the most accomplished vocalists in American music history. So today we honor the music of Tina Turner with our top 10 list. All right, we'll run through this fairly quickly. Uh, Going back, our first two songs, 10 and 9, are from Ike and Tina Turner, from that era in her career, because I wanted to work that in. A Fool in Love is number 10. It's kind of a doo-wop song. It sounds a little bit like the Shirelles or the Supremes, and it was really before Tina found her voice. I really think she found it at our number 9 song. It's Nutbush City Limits, and this could be an amazing rock song. A lot of funk in it. It's got a good guitar riff to it. And the vocal is just absolutely top shelf. And that's a song that she continued to play uh, late in her career and performed that on stage to kind of honor that part of her career. All right, number eight, the title track of what many people consider the greatest Tina Turner album of all time. And I would submit to you as somebody that grew up in the 1980s, this album was everywhere. It's Private Dancer, A Dancer for Money, right? And a song actually written by Mark Knopfler. That's one thing that's interesting, too. Tina Turner had all these big hits. She didn't write any of them which again kind of speaks to her genius you know a lot of people of course you know, can elicit emotion from their listener because through their own words because you hear the authenticity in their voice tina turner could take songs and make them her own so private dancer number eight not that i ever think she danced for money but number seven one of the great great songs in her catalog and uh, it's about a breakup it is a lot of relationship romance type uh uh, topics in Tina Turner's music but uh, it's I don't want to fight you know if they're at the end of the relationship and says we both kind of see this thing is over let's not make a big thing about it let's just kind of move on but uh, her uh, trademark rasp never better than in that sack that song uh, number six this was a huge hit and I think in many respects you know even in the 80s there was there was still a lot of racism when it came to music I think it's important to understand because we we didn't just have the regular charts. We had the urban charts, too. So we had, like, segregation in how we ranked music. And then there was this crossover hit with Brian Adams and Tina Turner called It's Only Love. And uh, I don't know who could really claim ownership with a song because they, it was a duet, and they were both absolutely fantastic uh, on this song. And uh, the guitar is great, and I think it really opened up a lot of people's eyes that maybe were reluctant to go and maybe buy Urban Music, hey, this Tina Turner uh, lady is phenomenal. So great crossover there, and uh, a nice, nice, nice collaboration between Brian Adams and, and Tina Turner. It's Only Love, your number six song. Number five, I'm broken my own rule here because this is completely different. It is. It's a cover song, and many people would say it is the biggest Tina Turner song of all time. It's back when it was the Ike and Tina Turner Review. I'm not going to put it higher even though it probably was her breakthrough song because it is a cover. It's Proud Mary, and John Fogarty, the legend himself, tweeted out what an honor it was that Tina Turner covered his song and then kind of made it her own because people forget. you know, The timing and all was very different, but that was a great song, and then Tina Turner made it an upbeat, danceable song, and it became an amazing hit. It was a big hit for CCR. It was an even bigger hit for Tina Turner. And uh, I thought John Fogarty's comments were very poignant and uh, very respectful of a legend. All right, number four. From the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome soundtrack. She was actually in the movie. Made a cameo, and then they, they kind of built the video around the movie itself. It's We Don't Need Another Hero. That's your number four song on our Tina Turner top list. Top ten list, excuse me. Number three. I suspect... And again i'm looking back through the lens of uh of the 50s now you know i'm I'm middle-aged um i believe our first big mtv moment with tina turner was you better be good to me and uh, of course she had that amazing hair and she got out there and she danced around there was nothing fake about tina turner you know she's one of these kind of people that was just an authentic performer and all of a sudden This young lady that was a legendary urban singer, and I put that in quotations because it didn't matter what label you put on her, Tina Turner is one that transcended all genres. She had an incredible amount of respect from everybody that loved American music. Uh, But better be good to me, number three on the list. Uh, Number two, and this was a huge hit for her, and it was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. It'd be, it, it, when we went to McCrae's or Gayfers or the Cloverleaf Mall or North Park, or whatever, the song was everywhere. And it's what's love got to do with it. And a lot of you thought that was going to be number one, but you're wrong. Number one is the best, because you're simply the best. It's my love song to you, because you're a Boneyard listener, and I thank you so much for this. But uh, 83 years of age, Tina Turner, what an incredible life, what an incredible career that Tina Turner had, and now she's gone. And uh, she continued to perform as early, as, as late as this year. You know, she was still out there doing what she loved. I have a lot of respect for that. A lot of people that make their money and then they kind of, you know, hey, well, that's it. I'm kind of withdraw from all this. And I can't speak to that and tell everybody what they should do with their lives or their money. But I respect these legendary performers that will still go out and do some limited dates. Number one, because they love it, but also because other people love them. You want, you, like people say, well, they owe it to the fans. You know, in some respects, I agree with that. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they, they do owe it to the fans to at least do a few dates. Because just last week, uh, you know, we went and saw Bad Omens, and I was trying to work it out that we could go see Stevie Nicks. I've never seen Stevie Nicks, but uh, it didn't work out. And you never know when these legends are going to stop touring, and you're going to lose the opportunity to go see them. And so I have a lot of respect that Tina Turner continued to tour in her advanced age and it sounds like you know, I'm acting like she's feeble I mean obviously she's passed away but uh, still doing a tremendous job and still bringing it and uh, I don't know man I, I I would venture to say there are a lot of strong female voices out there I mean some powerhouse voices I don't know if there's one bigger or more powerful than Tina Turner and, and I, I mean that with the, the most sincerity I can possibly muster when she push those big notes, you knew it was her. Her voice was unmistakable, absolutely unmistakable. An amazing singer, and you know, she's not Whitney Houston, she's not. It's completely different, but there was just something different about Tina Turner's voice that resonated with other people. I think a lot of it's because she sang so much about women's issues and things about nature because of what she'd been through. And so sadly, we have lost an American legend and a, a new era has passed, and uh, an old era has passed, pardon me. Uh, But the reality of it is, is that, uh, again, this is a superstar of our youth that is no longer with us. And uh, we're all getting older. And I'll make my plea again, as always. Get out and go enjoy live music. Go be a kid for a little while. Go do it. I know ticket prices sometimes are expensive, but get out and go see your favorite artist because, uh, you know, you never know. You never know. There are a lot of people, I'm sure, that were thinking, I'm going to see Tina next time she comes through. And, yes, she's in her 80s, and we think she's going to live forever, and she didn't. And there will be shows out there that get canceled, of course, for anybody that, that passes away. But the reality of it is, is that uh, when you have a chance to go see an iconic performer, you, should. you owe it to yourself. You do. Bring your kids with you. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. best way to do that is uh, on social media. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Roy, the keeper of the list – can be found at dogmatic67, 67. and you can find our great list on Roy's Spotify channel. So you can subscribe, and our list will just kind of auto-populate, and you can check it out. Now, I have so many people, I've, I've had, I guess, half a dozen or so that have reached out and said, uh, thanks for turning me on the bad omens. I didn't know anything about these guys. Now I'm hooked. That's how I was, too. It's phenomenal. It's one of the benefits of doing top ten lists. We can uh, share great music with each other i've got you hear some background noise i got people here i apologize you know I'll, I'll make sure they don't say anything profane or anything but the reality of it is is i got people over for at Ian, for ian's graduation so i'm you know the show must go on right uh and the show is brought to you as always by campus Bookmart. i love campus Bookmart. you will too it is a stark institution go by and check them out next time you're in town go see their smiling faces and uh you know procure some of their fine wares right it's incredible The fact they have so much mississippi state merchandise the bully shop is completely renovated everything is upstairs now there is no lower half that's now warehousing so they can stock more merchandise for you because they've expanded their selection upstairs it's pretty phenomenal it is go by and check it out next time you're in town if you can't make it to town visit them on the world wide web at campusbookmart.net and if you're looking for a diploma frame and i am i gotta go by and get one uh, for mia you need to be able to do that at Campus Bookmart. They have a great selection there and uh, they have those of, uh, you know, Mississippi State diploma frames. That's always a nice gift this time of year for the graduate in your life. But I would double check. You don't need to double dip, right? Uh, check with your graduate to see if they have one. If not, you get them one from Campus Bookmart and use promo code BSR and that'll save you shipping on all orders over 75 bucks in the order, less than 75. Absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a look around uh, the SEC tournament that we're not in, which sucks, man. It sucks. It does. It absolutely does. We're going to talk a little baseball here in the final segment of the show. Uh, but looking at the uh, SEC schedule, interesting, interesting couple of days, right? All right. So since we were together, you know, Wednesday there were some games going on. Of course, LSU beat South Carolina ten to six. Ten to three, excuse me. Uh, big outing there from Thatcher Hurd, who's kind of been up and down for them. Arkansas six to five winners in eleven uh, digs, where well, they walk off Jack uh, to beat the Aggies. And then Florida comes from behind. Did you watch that crazy game? Did you did you see that? It's a three three ball game. Alabama scores three in the top half of eleven. They bring in the closer. You think surely this is enough. He didn't get a single player out, three consecutive base hits, and then a three-run jack to walk it off for the Gators, who are capable of winning the national championship. Nobody's talking about that, but they are. Seven, six winners. Vanderbilt then beats Auburn six to four. I think Auburn is going to host. I I, I do. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, going to be a top eight national seed barring something totally unforeseen. All right, so we'll get into Thursday's games. A&M, an elimination game, they send South Carolina home. South Carolina will not be a top eight national seed, period. I don't know what, I don't care what the RPI says. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. They'll host, and that'll be the end of that. They'll host, and then we'll see what happens beyond that. But South Carolina hadn't been nearly as good down the stretch. Alabama then eliminates Auburn to kind of stay alive, seven to four. But, again, I think Auburn's going to host. I'm beginning to think Alabama's playing their way into the hosting discussion and when you think about the fact that Tennessee and Kentucky were both eliminated on day one of the tournament, you begin to think, okay, Alabama, they went head-to-head over Kentucky, and then they beat them again in the tournament to prove they're not a fluke. I think Kentucky is going to host, period. But I think because of that Kentucky resume, Alabama has a case to host, which is crazy. Arkansas then beats OSU. Five four last night, and uh, kind of a crazy game there. You know, catcher interference opens the door for an inning to stay open. Had an inning-ending fly out that was negated by a CI. Then there's three runs scored, and Arkansas wins the game five four. Uh, Vanderbilt loses to Florida six to three, and again, Florida just seems to be a team that's got that look right now, guys. I'm just something is happening in Florida, and we hadn't really talked about them this year. They're good. Everybody's like, hey, they're great. But Florida's capable of going out there and winning this whole thing. They are. All right, this evening, uh, this afternoon, 3 p.m., first pitch, LSU and AM will play in an elimination game. So one of those teams will go home. AM, of course, has uh, played fairly well here as of late. You know, of course, uh, taking two out of three from us, and then they've won a couple games in a tournament. Uh, they're in. They won't host, but they're in. They'll be a solid number two somewhere, and I think they'll probably get beat. All right, then after the LSU-Texas A&M game, and of course uh, being Friday, it'll be Paul Skeens, <laughs> uh, Alabama will play Vanderbilt. Now, Alabama just won two out of three against Vanderbilt. So, you know, Vanderbilt probably wants another shot at them, but uh, that's going to be an interesting game. And then the format changes, right? Then it's winner-take-all in the semifinals, right? The win, you know, The, the double elimination component of the tournament ends today. So if you get to tomorrow, you only got to win a game to get to the finals. You don't have to win twice. So Alabama Vanderbilt tonight. So picking our games today, LSU wins today, period. And then Alabama is absolutely red hot. And they should have beaten Florida tonight. Dare we do it? Yes, we shall. We'll pick Alabama to beat Vanderbilt. And then Alabama will advance to play Florida, and then LSU would play Arkansas. And uh, I, I think LSU probably wants another crack at them. Ty Floyd, of course, would probably go. I don't know that Arkansas – I mean, LSU really wants Arkansas a- after this. Because Arkansas is such a gritty team. And you start looking to this LSU thing, this is going to be – that would be their third game in the tournament. And you know they don't have any Sunday pitching. And Arkansas is a team that grinds out bat, at bats, and and Arkansas's offense is built for Omaha. LSU's not, and Hoover, of course, is a bigger park than we normally play in. But Arkansas, I think, is not only capable of winning this tournament, but capable of winning an national championship. I don't know that LSU is, and I don't know that LSU really wants Arkansas and Hoover. Now we'll see. The crazy stuff happens. Uh, but I think Florida, I think Florida beats either Alabama or Vanderbilt, whoever they see, uh, in the Saturday games. So I think you get to the finals, and we'll talk about that a little bit on Sunday, on Monday, and, of course, we'll have uh, regional announcements and all that that we're not going to be a part of, which sucks. But the tournament is interesting. It is. But uh, I I think Florida or Arkansas both would be worthy SEC tournament champions. Of course, Florida was the one seed uh, in the tournament, so it's all very interesting to me. All right final segment of the show because we're going to wrap it up a little bit early today because I've got uh, family in town as again You hear me in the background Everybody wants me to get off the mic and come visit But I owe it to you and I'm gonna do that All right, uh, here's the deal When I moved to Starkville back in 2014, I was looking for a place in the country looking for some water Looking for a place after living in Baton Rouge for all those years. I didn't want a bunch of neighbors I just kind of want to be out here to myself and I found it. But if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. Now that I've had all this, and listen, I love being out here, I do. As a matter of fact, we're making some improvements to the place, it makes me love it even more. It's my home. But if you're looking for your home, you can't have mine, so you need to go to Portico. Give Brooks Bryan, my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Portico is so easy to get to, you turn off of 82 on a 12-light going to campus, Take the very first right. That's Pat Station Road. <laughs> it's right there. Go to the four-way stop. Porticoes on the right. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. You need a custom build. They can accommodate you. It doesn't have to be this cookie-cutter experience. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two nearly is. There are some homes available, but you need to act fast. And If, if you're not in any hurry, you can pick out a lot, have a say in your housing plans, and build the home of your dreams, whether it be your primary residence, Your secondary home your future retirement home or an investment property i don't know what your needs are but they can meet them our friends at portico again at 601-416-8075 make portico your next move okay so what's our rooting interest i read an article about this yesterday and i wanted to kind of expound on that um obviously getting a pitching coach is uh is job number one and uh there is a lot of smoke about Oklahoma State's pitching coach. You familiar with that? Right? Rob Walton. Now, the thing that I caution you about that, and yes, I've heard a ton of smoke about this from people I trust. I always I'm always reluctant when it's the first name, because it's so rare that the first name gets hired. You know that Todd Grantham, I mentioned that on Gene's page yesterday. The only time I ever remember the first name being hired that I heard was Todd Grantham. And it was. It was very tidy. And there's some other people out there. When, when I put out the Todd Grantham, it was, the deal was almost done. Other people were like, oh, I haven't heard his name mentioned. And it was done. It was. Everybody's like, well, I think it's going to be so-and-so. No, it's, it's done. It's done. That's the only time I ever remember it going according to script. I mean, you even remember back when uh, Sylvester Croom got fired, right? ESPN reports that Derek Dooley was a leading candidate. We had absolutely no interest in Derek Dooley. Zero. Zero. Didn't even talk to him. Derek Dilly, of course, is his own agent. Get his name associated with our job to kind of, you know, and he didn't have great years at Louisiana Tech, and Sirwood didn't have great years at Tennessee. We weren't interested. But there are a lot of coaches out there that have good representation. And dare we say the Mike Bobo experience that we had uh, just here a few months ago, where people are out there advocating for Mike Bobo and calling everybody to me they possibly can to get Mike's name associated with an SEC play caller's job. And then what happens? He gets a job at Georgia. There's a lot of gamesmanship and all this stuff. So I just say that, yes, I have heard some things that I think are very encouraging. But I just tell you, don't get emotionally invested in this just yet. I'm not saying it's going to fall apart. I'm just telling you, it's very rare that this the first name out. And we've got a board out there. And, again, we feel that he is probably the leading candidate at this point, that things could change. Uh, but the reality of it is is that uh, we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. And I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people are hearing the same things that I'm hearing, which sometimes makes me nervous because I may, they think hey, maybe they've, they've got us on, uh, on the wrong track here. I mean, Kevin Barbet was a guy that we, we didn't even talk about. You know, we talked about all these. Every other coach that got hired, we discussed. On jeanspage.com, other than Kevin Barbet, kind of came out of left field. I commend Zach Arnett and the staff for keeping that under wraps because there were a lot of people that were willing to help, share some information. They just didn't know. They weren't exactly sure who uh, Zach wanted as an offensive coordinator. And I think Kevin's going to do a great job here. So I, I say that because I don't think people need to go out and uh, start printing a Baseball cards or anything with Walton's name on it. I think you just need to wait the process out, because uh, you know what could happen. Oklahoma State, you know, they got a bunch of money too. They could say, you know what, hey, we're willing to do this. But uh, you know, maybe Rob is ready to make a change. But uh, they call him the Wizard. He's a great pitching coach. He's not the only name we're talking to. There are a lot of people out there that are saying, hey, we should get this guy and that guy. And and one of the things I want to say, I'm not going to mention any names, okay, because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Some some shows I don't care, but. Uh, Guys, stop recommending high school and junior college coaches. We are Mississippi State baseball. We are not gonna we don't have to go get a guy from the U Triple fields and say, Well, you know, he's great. Guys, we are gonna have to go get somebody that knows the college game. We don't have to settle for. It. We're not little old Mississippi State. I've had people say, Hey Steve, you know, there's so and so at so and so junior college. No. I'm, no, I'm not passing that name along. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Period. Have some pride in who we are and what we are, and we're not going to go do that. We're going to go get an established pitching coach. Maybe it's from the G5 ranks. Maybe it proves to be Rob Walton. Maybe it dies. But we're not going to go get some junior college coach. All due respect to junior college coaches, I mean, I signed and play junior college baseball. There's some very talented people coaching Juco baseball. They're not ready to be the pitching coach in the Southeastern Conference, though. You think I'm kidding? I've had people send me high school coaches' names. Honestly. I've never at any point recruited anybody. I say, well, you know, he produces a lot of great pitchers. Well, how many guys is he put in the SEC? Ah, uh, well, no, okay. I appreciate your support of your friend, but this is Mississippi State baseball. This is SEC baseball. This is national championship contending type baseball. And going out and making a hire like that doesn't get us any closer to Arkansas or LSU. Florida doesn't. It's like people. It's so funny. In the same vein, people say, "Well, what would LSU do if they finished, you know, last in the West and back-to-back years or whatever?" Which we didn't. It still sucks, but we didn't. I don't know what they would do. I know what we're doing, but I can tell you this: LSU wouldn't go hire a coach. of junior college a pitch. I, I, I can tell you that. So. We don't have to pretend to know what we're doing. We know what we're doing, and we're not going to go hire your Little League coach. But uh, the NCAA transfer portal opens May 30th. You will have some current Diamond Dogs enter the portal. I was told yesterday that uh, there's already been a couple of guys that have already begun to uh, begin that process. What do I need to do to enter my name in the portal? We had exit... Uh, interviews with players last weekend, That's, those are completed. So everybody knows where they stand. Everybody knows, like, hey, we're bringing you back or we, you know, we're going to expand your scholarship or whatever, you know, or you know, this is what we see for you. We don't think you're going to play here. All those things happen, you know. Um, so those interviews are already done. So guys have had the chance to prepare, and uh, they can reach out to their travel team coach or whoever or, or high school coach or people that have connections to college baseball and kind of let people know kind of in advance, hey, I'm going to be moving on here. And then they will officially go into portal May 30th. And then the schools can't talk to them until they're in the portal. It's like I read these you know, sourced reports. It drives me absolutely batty sometimes. It really does. Guys, we haven't talked to anybody. We have not talked to any player, period, that's going to transfer. We hadn't done it. Because by NCAA rules, we can't do that. That's tampering. Until a guy goes in the portal, we can't talk to him. And you're like, oh, but yes. No, we absolutely cannot and have not talked to anybody, period. And anybody that says we have is pulling your leg. Now, have we talked to maybe done some due diligence and kind of reached out to some other parties that we know in college baseball or perhaps in the baseball world or scouts? or way? what do you think about this? Kid? Well, yeah, absolutely we've done that. That's smart to do that. But if anybody is telling you that we have already made contact with a baseball potential transfer, they don't know what you're talking about. We had not done that. Period. Now, the portal closes July 13th, and uh, most everybody that's going to go in is going to go in before then. But you give them 45 days. It's, you know, you want to put them on the clock here and say you got a week. 45 days. A lot of guys are, are, are going out. Matter of fact, I hear that Ron Polk will be uh, coaching in the prospect league. Leaving out on Tuesday. Him and his cigars. Uh, still out there. Old number one. Still uh, filling that lineup card. I mean, how fun would it be to be Ron Polk's assistant? I mean, honestly, like, even like for a summer, just like to be there. I don't care if it's just to keep book or whatever or to hit infield. I mean, just to be able to go out there and, and coach at Ron Polk for a summer, how, how amazing would that be? I'll go right now. I'll, I'll leave right. I'll pack a bag and leave right now. It'd be amazing. Uh, but nevertheless, we are going to be very bullish in the portal. That said, we don't need as many names as some other people are suggesting. People are like, oh, we're going to have to get seven eight pitchers. No, we do not. No, we don't. We've got a bunch of guys who already signed, right? We've got a bunch of guys, you know, from that, are, that signed with us as part of the, the recruiting class that are coming in. Right? And then you've got, of course, you've got Brooks Auger and Stone Simmons, Nate Williams, uh, coming back and... Uh, you know, Pico, of course, has had Tommy John. We don't know, you know, what his availability is going to be next year. We don't. Uh, but you got, you know, some guys that were unavailable this year that will be available next year. So you hope to hit on a couple of those guys, and you hope to hit on a couple of guys in your recruiting class, and you hope some guys that uh, make a jump this year, and you hope to get a couple of guys out of the portal. But here's the thing. Last year we just kind of went and got, okay, we, we need to get arms. And we got mainly a bunch of relievers, right? I mean, Nate's a guy, obviously, that has some starting experience under his belt. Uh, Tyler Davis does too. And uh, both of those guys are going to have to be good for us next year. I think Nate will be. I think think you're going to see Nate take a big jump next year. We do. Um, That said, we got to get bona fide starters this year. and I don't mean guys with starting potential. I mean guys with starting experience, guys with starting production, guys that know exactly what it means to go out there and get you six, seven innings on a Friday night. We have got to have two weekend starting pitchers, period. We have to. Now, you can say, well, Steve, I think so-and-so is going to develop into that. That's great. Well, they can compete for the job. At this point, no job is safe when it comes to this pitching staff, period. None. Everybody is going to get out there and compete in the fall, and they're going to find a way to establish themselves as a contributor to this ball team. And it is going to be completely clean slate because you got a brand-new pitching coach. You're not going to have a coach come in that's loyal to a veteran or loyal to a signee or whatever because he's not a part of that process. He may help you in the portal, but by and large, he's going to be recruiting guys or coaching guys that are recruited by somebody else. So he's not going to have this recruiting relationship where there's already been promises made. So you're going to show up and you're going to do your bullpens and you're going to work on your mechanics and you're going to see if you can get live hitters out. And speaking of that, Stone Simmons is already throwing live hitting now. How about that? Yeah, right? Is there cooking dinner back there behind me? Uh, My point being is that this is a great time to kind of replenish the roster here. But the reality is we have got to go out and target two weekend starters period and maybe you could chase three but you have to get two and I don't mean that they are necessarily going to be your weekend starters but you have to go get two guys to add to the competitive mix that makes this team better Mississippi State last year an ERA of 7.01 it makes me want to vomit 7.01 are you kidding me I did the numbers yesterday. I don't know if you know this. Of course, we led the the, the SEC in runs allowed. Georgia was 13th, and we gave up 40 more runs than 40. Not two or three, 40. We were number 14 with an anchor. It's terrible. We don't even have to be elite next year. If we can just be good, we can just be above average. We're back in the tournament. We're going to have a good offense. And you say, but Steve, we're losing all these pieces. And listen, I get so sick and tired of all the self-loathing negativity. Right? That was a big discussion last year. Oh, you know, we don't have – we're not going to have Cameron James. And, you know, we're not going to have um, – you know, we're not going to have Logan Tanner. And we did. And then we missed him this year. We did. Not going to have this guy. Not going to have that guy. Not going to have RJ Yeager. And then we went out and got cold and Ledbetter. And we got Monty Larry. And those guys are good for us this year. I wouldn't say they're great. They're good. And they'll both be drafted in the first 10 rounds. So it's interesting, too. I had some people tell me a couple of weeks ago that Imani may be a late pick. And then I talked to two other scouts, and they said, no, oh, no, he's going to go in the top 10 rounds. <laughs> yeah, don't, no doubt about it. The guy that athletic. And there is some concern. because He's limited position-wise, but he's such a good athlete that can run. He can hit for average. He's got a little pop in the bat. He's going to get drafted, period. But the reality of it is is that that's what the portal will allow us to do is to kind of bring some guys in. And I feel like it's deja vu all over again, right? We talked about the same stuff last year. And we weren't aggressive enough pitching. I think we put too many eggs in a Paul Skeens basket. And Skeens, again, there's all these people that every time he pitches, well, we should have had him. You know, if Paul Skeens comes to Mississippi State, you're probably hosting a regional this year. You say, Steve, we were so awful. Yes, you're right. But if you have Paul Skeens go out there and eat up seven, eight innings every Friday night, and you can move everybody back, and all of a sudden, Cade Smith's throwing on Saturdays. And then Gartman maybe throwing on Sundays. You move everybody back a day, not to mention it saves bullpen arms. Because how many times this year do we have to go to the bullpen and use two or three or four guys on a Friday and have to navigate through the rest of the weekend? Skeens is an innings eater. And what would LSU be without Paul Skeens? Well, they'd probably be us. There's a lot of holes in that team. And what's crazy about that, you know, this, they get hot, you know, they could win an NFL championship. I just don't think they're going to. But my point being is that one big arm can make all the difference. If we can go find two, you're not going to find a Paul Skeens this year. You're not. But if you can go find a couple guys, some sure bona fide starters, and then all of a sudden uh, give your new pitching coach the opportunity to work with them. Because we have got to be in a position that we have weekend guys every year. We can't can't go resort to the portal every single year to go find starting pitching. And again, I go back, people always say, well, Steve, what do you think went wrong? Uh, Here's my honest opinion, and this is just my opinion. I don't have any factual basis to back this up. It's just what I have seen based on my own observations. I think we weren't honest with ourselves about the roster after we won an NFL championship. I think because of the fact that we win the national championship, and it's like, oh, we won a title with these kids, and we're going to be back next year, and we're going to try to go defend our title. And there were some guys that we loved because we had all this nostalgia and these great feelings for that weren't good enough to play here. And that sounds cruel, and that's just being honest. And then I was like, hey, well, we won a national championship with this kid, but you go back and look, and they didn't do a whole lot. They didn't contribute a lot to that season. And all of a sudden, we take a role guy, and we thrust them into a leadership position, and they couldn't get it done. And I think we knew. But I think if you're Chris Simonis, you probably there's a balancing act there too. You think, well, yeah, I man, I don't want to be the guy we won an AFL championship and I run these kids off. And at the moment, it probably seemed like the right decision. In hindsight, it wasn't. And I'm you know, again, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback that now, right? But the reality of it is, is we let some guys ride the roster that didn't contribute. And then last year, of course, we hit the portal hard. We were not aggressive enough pitching-wise in the portal. And we made some very questionable decisions last year when it came to pitching signings. We did, and the chickens have come home to roost. And so we didn't get unhealthy overnight. We're not gonna get healthy overnight. However, we do have the benefit of the portal. And I do think you've got a young nucleus of players. It's not like we're having to just gut the roster here. And a lot of people tell me, "Hey, the Hunter Hines thing—not completely done. But you know, Hunter wants to be here. Hunter wants to be appreciated. But Hunter wants to be here. Dakota wants to be here, and not to mention, you know, Dakota Jordan is going to be draft eligible next summer. You stay here and you put up the kind of numbers you put up this year with the potential that you have. You're going to have an opportunity. And if you go leave and go somewhere else, there's no guarantee. You know, why would you want to go start over?" And so, if he was a three year guy, then maybe you consider that. But no. So, I expect him and Ross, and I think people don't understand too, Ross Highfield caught more this year than he has in his entire life. High leverage innings, too, right? And he got better as the year went on. By the end of the year, he he was gassed. He was. And uh, I love that kid, man. I think he's going to be a great player for us. I really do. I think he'll make a big jump next year, too. He'll make a jump. He will. Uh, pitch recognition, of course, is uh, something, you know, until you've seen an SEC breaking ball, you don't know what it looks like. You, you, you think you do, but you don't. But Ross is going to be a star. He is. I love that kid. I love his makeup. I love his approach to the game. The kid's a competitor. He's a leader, too. You need guys like Dakota Jordan and Ross Highfield to get you where you want to go. You know, you talk about the leadership of Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan, you guys were questioning that at the beginning of the 2020 and the 2021 season. You'd say, we don't have any leadership. And by the end of the year, it's like, man, I wish we had leadership like that, right? I think you've got some natural born leaders and guys like Ross Heifel and Dakota Jordan. And maybe those voices were a bit muted this year because of freshmen. Well, next year, they can really put their own, their fingerprints on this team. So you start looking around here, what are, what are our emergent needs besides pitching, right? Because that's obvious, right? You don't need an insider's vantage point to understand we've got to get better pitching. We do. And we have got to go out there. We have got to be bullish in that market. Bryce Chance, obviously, would compete in left field. Uh, he was the guy until he got injured. And then the, the, the Dakota Jordan got hot and took over, and you know, Bryce didn't get a chance to play a whole lot. Um Aiden Smith's a freshman. I think he comes in and competes at center field. I I think if you can find the difference maker in the portal, it's a talented outfitter. you got to take him, right? You have to. I think you see DJ slide around the right. With his arm, it makes perfect sense for him to be out there. A guy can track a baseball. and We had him in center some. Maybe he plays center. Maybe maybe he put Connor Hizak in right. I don't know. But uh, we have some interesting outfield pieces, and we have some pieces coming in. Some names you don't know yet. So I'm not worried about the outfield. I think the outfield is going to be very productive offensively. Hunter Hines, of course, expected to be at first. I think you slide David Marchand over to second. Not that he's not capable of playing short, but if Dylan Cops comes to school like we expect, can going to be pretty good. And we always talk about baseball being – got to be strong up the middle. When you look at Ross Highfield, who I think will be – I think he could be a first-rounder. but I think he's certainly probably – top three rounds in his draft year you got a you, you got a guy that's going to be a pro catcher and then you think about Dylan Kopp a guy that's probably in the top 200 players in this draft that wants to come to school and you know what you got with David Marchand and then all of a sudden you've got maybe Dakota Jordan out there in center field we talk about being strong up the middle that's probably as strong as what anybody's going to have Hadn't heard about Sweet Offer just yet. You know, I, I won't be surprised if he leaves. I won't be surprised if he stays. I, well, I will take that back. I might be a little bit surprised if he stays. Uh, but that said, even if he does stay, you got to go in the portal and get a third baseman. Even if it's just to add competition to position. We, we, we played four different third basemen this year. Four. Started with Slate, We struggled a little bit there. We worked some with Nate Chester. Worked some with Marshawn at third. He's not a third baseman. Uh, and then, of course, we had uh, Connor Highsack play somewhere there. We had four different guys play third base this year. We've got to find a way to get that spot settled. We've got to have a double-digit home run guy with a steady glove that can make a throw across the diamond. We haven't had a dominant third baseman in years, years. So that's got to be your focus. And you need four catchers, and you've you know, you've got some young guys there. It probably wouldn't hurt to get a veteran guy, even if it's just a you know. I don't care if he's your bullpen catcher. Sometimes it just helps to have a guy that maybe catch in the midweek or. You know, guys can come in there and uh, and be leaders, you know, and work with pitchers, a veteran guy. So that's something you think about. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I think it's going to be okay, but I can tell you that the steps are already being taken to get this thing turned around. And we'll see. I'm excited, you know, and, and if we get Rob Walt, I'll be really excited because that in turn probably means that it makes us a better option for pitchers in the portal. It's an important aspect of it. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I have a lot of faith in our leadership. Um, I do like Chris Samoas. I do, and and Chris, you don't accidentally win an AFIL championship. And I, I know people who tried to, to uh, maybe discount his contributions to our AFIL championship year, which is so very Mississippi State of us. The only guy that's ever won an AFIL championship, and we're going to act like he just got lucky. Yeah, you know, no, we need to have a little more pride than that. And if you recall that 2021 year, it seemed that every button he pushed was correct. People forget, right? When we ended up putting Lane Forsyth in the ballgame at short. We, made, we moved Cameron James from short to third, inserted Lane Forsyth, the defense began to settle. And then uh, Scotty De Bruyne had some issues catching pops up. So, what do we do? We put Tanner Leggett in there. And Tanner Leggett became our glue guy, right? We had problems with Josh Hatcher, you know, over at first. We start working Luke Hancock in. He becomes our first baseman. We couldn't settle at times in the outfield at left field. We eventually went with Brad Columbus and said, you know what, this is our best option offensively. So let's not forget the fact that Chris Simonis pushed all the right buttons in 2021. It wasn't, oh, he got lucky because there was so much of it. It wasn't like we just, okay, well, he filled out and put the best nine players on the field. They wouldn't want him a championship. That's not what happened. We have this revisionist history. So Chris hadn't forgot how to coach. And my hope is, with him uh, being able to get a new f- pitching coach, and we've got to get the right one, we can get back to where we want to be. Because I don't want to be sitting here this time next year having to talk about a coaching change. But, and not because that I, that I want Chris Monas to be our lifetime achievement coach. I want to be celebrating a big year. I want to be preparing for a regional. I want to be over in Hoover, jockeying for position. That's got nothing to do with Chris. It's got to do with Mississippi State. I want Chris Simonos to be successful because it means Mississippi State is successful. It's important to understand. All right, let me get out of here. i got to go visit with family and uh, get this show up and, and going. We've got a big afternoon. got people coming in. You know how it goes. But uh, if you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get copies of Dogpile Alpha Dogs, and there are very limited quantities of Alpha Dogs. You guys have exhausted all the villains. There's very little left of Alpha Dogs. If you don't have Alpha Dogs or if Dad doesn't have Alpha Dogs, You need to order it now. It won't make the holidays. I'm just telling you now. Limited quantities available. Of course, Flim Flam is still around. And maybe if you have bought it for everybody in your family, maybe you can uh, buy it for the old Miss uh, brother-in-law. He needs it. I'm happy to sign it for him, right? Uh, But listen, if you need Start Villains gear, go to StartVillains.com. And as always, come be a part of our our crazy band of misfits over at jeanspage.com. I would, I would venture to say the most knowledgeable group of posters in our fan base right? jeanspage.com. we got a few clunkers, too, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the reality of it is is uh, that's where Bulldogs go to congregate and discuss the maroon and white. Come by and be a part of that at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.